Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder of QuestionMark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome assessment luminary Gavin Cooney of Linosity, who are the leading provider of assessment infrastructure for the learning industry. As you may have heard, Linosity recently acquired QuestionMark, and Gavin is the CEO and co-founder of Linosity. Linosity began as a project in a garden shed and has matured into an internationally renowned tech company. And Gavin is a passionate advocate of driving improvements in the field of learning and assessment. He believes that all social ills can be remedied through education, and so his modus operandi is pretty simple. Give education the standard of technology it deserves. Welcome, Gavin. Really nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, John. So what I usually do is start off with what got you into assessment. How, how did you start off in the assessment world? Well, I, I've been working as a university lecturer in Dublin, um, but I was only young, straight, straight out, of, out of college, and I would off to Australia to do what most Irish Irish kids do you know, in their early 20s and do that kind of year abroad. And I ended up working for the Department of Education in Sydney. They're specifically the, the Board of Studies. They, they handle the curriculum and assessment. And really, I was kind of instantly pissed off about bad technology in education. It instantly annoyed me when I got into the industry. The way I see it is you take a doctor out of a hospital 100 years ago and you put him in a hospital today, he doesn't know where he is or what all of these machines do, or what the drugs do, or anything else. If you took a teacher out of a, out of a classroom from 100 years ago, put them in today, there's now a whiteboard, not a blackboard, but it's pretty much chalk and talk. It's pretty much the same thing as it was when I was a kid and when Jesus was a kid. So I really felt that educational technology was kind of badly served, and I wanted to do something about it. So um, I found a business partner in Mark Lynch, and he was the uh, tech genius behind it, and decided to start something. Needed it to be capital efficient, didn't have a bunch of money to go and do stuff. So we eventually worked out that we could reach the biggest possible audience by powering other people's products. Um, and it would, would end up reaching way more students and making much more of a difference uh, in the industry. And ultimately, what we're about here is trying to improve education. So the bigger reach, the more students we, 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 we touched, the better. So we decided what that was going to be was building some APIs. And we started a company then to build APIs and to power the assessment industry. And, uh, you know, we've come a long way. We're now um, powering products with 40 million students every year. And in, in the last year, um, we've, we've delivered about 17 and a quarter billion questions online, which is absolutely massive. Wow. And one of the things I love about Learnosity is that you're really anchored in the why, sort of like they say, the businesses who are anchored into why are very strong. Talk to me about the why for Learnosity. Well, we really felt that there was the, it was the most important contribution we can make to society, um, helping education. You know, it wasn't the most amount of money we can make. We didn't want to be in oil and gas. We didn't want to do something like that. We wanted to improve education because we felt that educational technology was bad. And um, we really value education. We were both, you know, really, really kind of uh, loved our own schooling and our, and our own opportunities to go to university and so on. And kind of felt that we were lucky to do that. Felt that 
you know, if you're born on the wrong side of the tracks, particularly in, in the United States, if you're born on the wrong side of the tracks, it's pretty hard to get out of there. And education is, is a solution for all those things. And education is a solution for nearly all of, of, of society's problems. And, you know, we weren't going to be able to, you know, cure a disease or, 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 or whatever that was going to be. What we could do is contribute to STEM education and teach the next generation of students to become better doctors and therefore they want to do great things. So we really felt education was at the core of everything and the core of all societal problems and solutions. So uh, the why was to sort of try and improve that. And, and we believed in education and we believe it deserved better technology and we can make a big difference using our skills. And what are the really impactful areas? Where does Lenocity provide software that solves difficult technical challenges? So it's interesting what can be an API. An API is a, is a programmer's tool uh, to do something. And there was a very obvious thing when we when he sat down and thought about it that every single learning product every single education product all were solving the same thing over and over again they were all doing assessment there was just thousands of people had built a multiple choice engine over the years and the world didn't need a ten thousand implementation of a multiple choice engine this is something that should be kind of commoditized and should be done once and done extremely well and then sent out to the world and, and let, let lots of people use it. And we kind of figured that we could build something that let other people stand on the shoulders of giants and, and benefit from the innovation that we do. So assessment really fit that bill. It was really something that could be API'd, if that's a verb, and it, it could be kind of abstracted out. The difficulty of it could be abstracted out, could be sold to multiple people. They could build products on top of it. Um, but the definition, it was something that was undifferentiated, it was generic, uh, it was heavy lifting, we call it, uh, it was difficult to do. Like multiple choice just seems pretty easy at the basic level. Uh, you got four radio buttons, right? But then when you try to implement that at scale, you got scalability problems, you need to make it work accessible. Uh, so screen readers and keyboard navigation, you need authoring, you need teacher authoring, you need metadata, you need different options, you need to uh, like four options, five options, three options single select, multiple select, it just becomes this kind of deceptively difficult problem to solve that people are doing over and over and over again. And we can solve that once and let everyone use that and move on to where they're actually going to add value in their products. There is no prize in getting a simple question type or something right. That's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cost in getting it wrong, but there's no prize in getting it right. So what we did was we took a bunch of things that were super generic in assessment that was question types ranging from simple uh, multiple choice through to drag and drop and essays and a lot of math stuff a lot of, a lot of graphing uh, video audio all sorts of things and we just made them building blocks to allow other people to build products with some obvious things there then we then we realized that there was sort of authoring that was done over and over again so we could kind of make that into a building block and sell it on and then reporting and analytics make that into building blocks and sell them on um, and we've just kind of raised the bar of what's acceptable in the product. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, when you go to one of the conferences in the US, maybe the math conference, there's 10 or 12 products that are powered by Learnosity, right? Uh, and we've made some things kind of standard there. We've made automatic scoring of math questions, an accessible math editor that works on mobile, that works offline, different authoring stuff, different analytics stuff. 
different question types. And we made all these things standard. So if you're the 11th product, you can license from us and we'd sure love you to do that, come and, and work with us, no problem. Or kind of more importantly, we've raised the bar of what's acceptable in the products. We've raised the bar in what you need to build, what's acceptable, what, what a teacher or student or purchaser will buy in a product. And we've, we've gone and the whole industry has risen with tide of the innovation from Learnosity. And now they must build better things. And that's a bigger impact. That's, that's as well as the 40 million students we're already uh, serving, that's a much bigger impact. And that's something which we're, we're really excited about. Well, that does sound a nice story. And now, uh, Lenosity and, and Question Mark have just come together. You've just uh, bought uh, Question Mark. Uh, let's have a little bit of a dialogue about how Question Mark and Lenosity fit together. I obviously know a fair bit about that because I work at Question Mark and Lenosity <laughs> now, but uh, t- tell our listeners what, what the vision is for Question Mark and Lenosity together. Well, you know, we don't see it as a, an acquisition. We see it as a merger. We're about the same size. And um, Lenosity targets a different end of the assessment industry you know you look at our market targets and you know as a venn diagram the, the two circles barely touch so you know Lernosity does apis it does tools to build products question mark does kind of whole solutions we wanted to come along take that kind of really well-known brand in markets we're not in some great team members some really great expertise um, and we want to be able to improve the question mark product using the Lernosity APIs. We want to be able to take some of the question mark functionality, abstract it out as a as an API, and sell that to the whole to the industry. And um, you know, companies will continue to use the two different products in, in different ways, uh, and will continue to kind of power the whole industry. But you know, we were always frustrated that we didn't have a end solution to sell to somebody who didn't want to go and build it themselves. So it's it's great to be able to do that. And um, it just, I, we hope that, you know, two together will be much stronger. Question mark will be able to go faster. We'll be able to add extra functionality, um, scalability of Learnosity, which is kind of massive video questions, different types of um, reports and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's great to be working with you, John. I, I think um, we're working very well together and, and, and together we're going to be able to reach further and, and paint with that kind of broader brush. And, and again, uh, reach as many students and as many candidates and, and exam takers as possible. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I'm really enjoying the, the first few months together and looking forward to really making a, a big change in the assessment technology space. And I love that idea that what we're doing isn't just impacting our own customers, but also encouraging other people to raise the bar and uh, do good, inclusive assessment that's valid, reliable and fair for, for everybody. Uh, and I think the whole industry can improve based on what we're doing and other, other, other leads are doing. And I really look forward to making question mark velocity very strong. And I know there are quite a lot of question mark customers who are interested in some of the uh, Lenosity capabilities like uh, video questions and things that we'll be adding. We've talked about your history and assessment and a little bit about uh, how question mark and velocity have coming together. Let, let's start looking at uh, some other things. I'd love to talk to you about accessibility, but before we do that, what about um, trends that you're seeing in the technology come assessment, come learning space? Well, one thing that I, I think is it's really interesting, we have a, a unique view across, especially the schools market. We can see across 130 clients that are doing stuff and many, many users in different for different products, different demographics and so on. One thing that's been really obvious over the last few years is the rise of mobile. Um, a huge amount of assessments done on different devices now. 
Uh, the other thing that's that really remarkable is the advent of Chromebooks. Google Chromebooks came from like nowhere in 2012, 2013 to being about 60% of our traffic right now, which is absolutely mind blowing. So you'll see that across the schools market and, and, and even in higher ed, you'll see a lot of Chromebooks, but there's still an inclusivity problem, especially with COVID-19 and students have been forced out of their classrooms. There is two sides of the tracks and one side doesn't necessarily have Wi-Fi at home, doesn't necessarily have good devices, doesn't have a, you know, a spare device for a child shared around the family or whatever it is. So we're noticing some great trends around the use of mobiles, around the use of devices, but there's still, there's still some problems there. We've also noticed that education is now kind of, there's never going to be a snow day anymore. When there's snow, you're going to have just kind of work from home. This is going to be a blended learning experience from now on. You're forced the hand of all the players to do digital learning now. Um, and being able to do stuff at home is very, very important. Use your own device is very important. Be able to kind of sync the assessments or the learning materials while you have Wi-Fi in the school and do it offline and come back in and sync back up when you're connecting to Wi-Fi again. These are these are big trends, I think, as you see it. And and one other thing is the need for accessibility, which is just becoming ever, ever more evident. So talk to me about accessibility, because I think you're probably one of the world's experts in accessible assessment technology. Why is it important for organizations or who are delivering assessments? We started as a company. I mentioned the Board of Studies in Australia. The first assessment we delivered there was a special provisions assessment for a few thousand students every year who needed to who needed some special provision to do their assessments online. So we started there. We have to do a version that worked for the most extreme of cases for, this is, you know, we're talking uh, 15 years ago here, screen readers, different colors, different fonts, different sizes, different screens, different types of computers and so on. So we started with accessibility and it's something very, very dear to our hearts. So we started from an accessibility first point of view, but ultimately if you step back as a company and, you know, as the founders, Mark and I, uh, and I know you share this, this belief, education is a fundamental right. And anything that takes that away is just not acceptable. And our mission includes trying to give that education to everyone. So there's no excuse to have some functionality that's not available to certain students. So every single different question type uh, needs to be available in, 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 in different ways. There's everything from kids with dyslexia who need different fonts. You've got broken arms. You've got all sorts of disabilities, temporary and, and, and permanent, that need to be uh, delivered. And education doesn't stop. So we just want to allow every student to be able to do their exams just like everyone else and be able to do their learning just like anything else. Because a lot of what we do is, is formative. If you're maybe visually impaired and, and, and you're, you're, you're difficulty reading off a screen, you probably have preferred software that you're using to read Facebook or go online in whatever way. You want to use that software for your exam or for your learning. So being able to not prescribe a different software for that, not, not make the decisions for them, let them bring their own software and, and make sure the thing uh, just works for them in the same way they use any, any product. And we're really thankful that over the last few years it's become kind of obvious. It's become a commercial imperative for everyone and we kind of lead away in that so we have the WCAG support the section 508 we do our audits with different customers and so on 
uh, and have uh, all that documentation there ready for for anyone. And it's just so, so important and so fundamental to, to who we are as a business. What advice would you give to people getting started with accessibility, with assessments? What are the key things they should be looking at? Well, you do need to be audited. And, and what I mean by that is, if you want to improve anything, you need to measure it first. We're uh, assessment people, right? We all should should think this too. So if you want to improve anything, you want to improve your golf game, the first thing you do is count the number of swings you take uh, going, going around a, a golf course. And you, you, know, you look at that over time and see if you're improving. So you need to measure it. So you need to go and you need to test what you're doing and you need to get external people in to do that. Really, accessibility is not hard. It's very, very hard. Really, really hard to retrofit it into, into a product. So what it would recommend you kind of build in from day one, if at all possible. But, you know, we started by kind of pulling people in who had certain needs and that obviously started in, in New South Wales where we're able to see people, blind users, and see how to use the exams, see how to use general web products and learn from that. So I would say watching people with special needs, use new product, seeing what they do, seeing what the um, what, what problems they, they come across and how they're dealing with those. It's really, really important, but pretty hard to retrofit. And, and how do you do your QA and testing of accessibility? Do you have very automated suites or do you have people come in and do it? Or Yeah, we, we have a bunch of automation on it. And um, because we're delivering, it's, it's a blessing, of course, because we're delivering such a massive number of users, as I said, 40 million, 40 million uh, users, we come across every little edge case. So we come across every little accessibility nuance. We come across every browser. You know, we, we see things coming before other people do. So client number one will have reported some bug in some version of Chrome that was is, is released in two weeks' time. We'll have that fixed before client number 51 recognizes there's an even problem there. So we do have the benefit of a lot of our clients doing accessibility work. And obviously we do a bunch of testing ourselves. We've brought in people, as I said, we brought in blind users and watched them uh, use our product. We, we listen to our, our functionality using a screen reader ourselves and see how, how easy it is. We test uh, manually using keyboard navigation. We work through everything. And it's, it's a long, arduous process. As I said, it's very, very difficult, but it's massively important and we absolutely have to do it. And I guess this also connects into inclusivity because if we want to do, we want to make sure learning and assessment is inclusive. Uh, what other sort of inclusive factors do you think people need to think about? I guess supporting lots of devices so that people can use whatever device they want to when they're learning or assessing at home. Yeah, different size screens, different devices. And, and I guess one thing we're sure of is that things will change. I mean, the idea of the meteoric rise of Google Chromebooks coming from nowhere to 50 and 60% of traffic, that's absolutely amazing. And you never would have seen that coming a number of years ago. So we need to build on open technologies that can be worked and can, 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 can work across any device. Um, uh, we, we try and stay away from building just for an iPad or just for an Android device or whatever, or a particular browser. So if, if you build an open technology, it'll work across different browsers and it'll work across different devices. You need to make it responsive design so it works in different screen sizes, anything from a, from a mobile right up to a, to a huge screen. And, um, you know, you need to support all those devices because it's, it's just necessary. And, you know, I, I guess I probably come from a, from a different world to you, John, where you're talking a lot about 
corporate and and government and, and some of the commercial imperatives here we're coming from it from an education point of view where um again it's, it's it's a human right to get educated and in a world where we can't control device at all this is you know when especially when you come into formative assessment especially when you come into education you look across different types of schools you're going from everything from top end macbooks in the kind of the posh schools um and, and, and the rich kids and everything else down to seven-year-old Android phones, you know, that are, are, are barely working. And we can't control the environment where, where it's going to be used. We just got to make sure it works everywhere. And uh, that's a great first principle. And did I hear you right that 50% of your traffic comes from Chromebooks? More than that, yeah. Wow. Uh, up, to, up to 60%, which is just bonkers um, compared to what it was, you know, a few years ago. It came from nowhere. And they just sort of, Google has absolutely nailed the K-12 industry, especially in the US. Every school seems to use them. They're great devices. They're cheap. They're easy to deploy. It's all cloud stuff. Um, and it's just a lot easier. Um, so they've completely taken over compared to PCs and, uh, and Macs and even Android and so on. And I think the rest of them will follow. It'll be near 80 or 90% of K-12 coming in, in the next few years will be using Chromebooks. The people who are still using the other more expensive devices probably are a little bit older. Every September, we notice in the back-to-school period, just a big uptick in the Chromebook usage because it's been a bunch of um, devices been deployed uh, over the summer. So do you see any other trends in devices and internationally going forward or... Is it all going to be Chromebook or? I, I'm not sure about that. I, I guess the one thing I've learned from the Chromebook thing is is not to try and predict it. This is something that is going to be out of our um, out of our control, and there's nothing as as certain as change itself. Nothing as constant as change itself, I should say. I, I think the the advent of Chromebooks coming from nowhere proves to me that there'll be some other device uh, down the line. You remember not so long ago, the um, cases in the, in the antitrust cases in the US about Internet Explorer being so dominant and Windows being so dominant and so on. And then you look at it and, and they're not at all. It, it'll always change. Interesting, interesting. So what about the pandemic? Do you, uh, how do you see that as having changed education or changed ed tech or assessment technology? Well, I definitely think there's a huge acceleration in online assessments and online education. It's been a complete necessity and it really lit fire under every under everyone. We notice a hugely different pattern in our usage. You know, before you would sell, you know, 100,000 users to a particular product. And you're not really expecting all of the students to ever be provisioned by the schools to ever get homework, to ever log in. It's gonna be some percentage of it. Reasonably high percentage, but some percentage. COVID happened and every single student who was signed up needed to do, it was the only way they could do their work. So every single one of them logged in and they went from doing kind of one assessment every week or two to doing like two hours a day on, on online doing assessments and so on. So the usage pattern completely changed. That's a kind of a, um, that's a canary in the coal mine when it comes to the kind of the huge acceleration in, in, in online assessment. I do think there's going to be yo-yoing back into schools and, and, and offices. People are going to be working from home. You and I mentioned this uh, when we spoke earlier, how we were all in the office a few weeks ago. We probably wouldn't go in now. And in two months' time, we'll be back again. So there's going to be yo-yoing in and out of schools. 
And therefore, this idea of a mixed classroom-based versus digital-based assessment is going, is going to be necessary. There's going to be certain students who can't come in for whatever reason. They've got an outbreak at home or whatever in their area, and they're going to need to learn at home. So there's going to be this kind of mix of kind of video, Zoom-based education and, and, in, and in class for a long time. And, and um, online assessment and online education is going to be, it's going to be huge. That kind of hybrid model, the end of the of the snow day, as I mentioned before, is going to be COVID days, and and they're going to be learning from home. And you know, I think that we don't know how that's going to work. Is that going to be making agile learners and agile thinkers for the future? Possibly. It's the kind of best case and worst case. You've got further dichotomy uh, between the the rich and the poor, and the haves and the have-nots. That the, both sides attracts more disadvantaged uh, populace. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. But one of the solutions to that, it certainly is education. And and really, the last thing I'll say is that there was a kind of acceptance that you could be a laggard when it came to digital assessment along the way, or di- or, or digital learning. It was okay to kind of wait and see, or not kind of implement it just yet. But it's kind of being put to everyone now that you need to do it. It was okay to cancel examinations in 2020. In Ireland, they, they cancelled the you know the paper based assessments. Uh, they cancelled them all for the leaving cert and the junior cert in 2020, and that was kind of okay because it was a few months. They like the COVID came along in February or March, and they didn't have enough time to to do it. It would be an absolute disgrace to cancel it again in 2021. There's no excuse now. You know that this is happening. You know there's going to be a move yo-yoing in and out of schools, in and out of offices, in and out of test centers, and you need an alternative. So, um, you know, it's exciting to, to see that. And as somebody who who believes in the in the possibilities of, of digital education, digital, digital assessment, it's a pretty exciting time to be here. For sure. So I, mean, I think if we can draw that up as some themes for people to take away, one theme might be digital learning and digital assessment is here to stay. Another is you've got to be inclusive and support lots of devices and be accessible. Any any other sort of advice you'd like to give people who are moving into this space or thinking this through? Look, I think the accessibility piece, it's becoming not a nice to have now. It's becoming an absolute necessity. And the way to do that is to make it a commercial necessity. It's to... You know, you'll find now that all the big RFPs and the big tenders all have accessibility requirements, and that's the way it should be. So while it was a nice-to-have and possibly an expensive extra feature to have before, it's now an absolute imperative. So um, and it's great to see that that being pushed through. Gavin, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you, and I hope our listeners have learned. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please reach out to me directly at johnatquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars we host. Thanks again, and please tune in soon for another exciting podcast discussion.